Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Lessons. So this is just be a little mini series talking about family foundations. Everybody say family foundations. And uh, we're going to be talking about some things that are just important to the home and family and how we interact and how our home is and our home life. And there's a thousand, thousand things that can be said about all of this. And so I'm probably, I may not really touch the subject that you're just hoping, really hoping I'll touch. If there's something that you're just really hoping I touch and I don't in the next two Wednesdays, you can just ask me. Amen. And I can, uh, we, can, we can get some answers that you're looking for. But we understand, I hope tonight, that a house is a piece of real estate that can vary in price from a very minimal amount to millions and millions of dollars. But the value of a home established after the will of God, a home that is sanctioned by the presence of God, that is something that cannot be measured in monetary substance. You can't measure that. The value of a Christ-centered home is immeasurable, but it's also of absolute necessity. If we do not have Christ-centered apostolic homes today, we are going to struggle much more than we need to struggle. Now, I understand right off the bat that that is not always completely under our control, okay? So there may be people whose lives are uh, teenagers, whose parents aren't involved in church. There may be spouses whose other spouse is not highly involved in church or doesn't come at all. And so you're living in that dynamic. I get it. But to the best of our ability, we have got to get our homes dedicated unto the Lord and get Christ as the center of our home. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Some of the best homes that you would ever have the honor to step inside are not housed under expensive roofs. Some of the best homes you'll ever have the honor to step inside are not filled with great artwork. They don't have a ton of square footage maybe, but the peace of God, the love of God, the presence of God is felt when you walk into that home. And that is a powerful, powerful thing. And so we, we're looking for that. We're looking for uh, the established order of God in a home. How many know that there's order in God? That he is not the author of confusion. That God does things orderly. That he created orderly. That he acted in an orderly way. That he was never out of control. God is never disheveled. He doesn't come running in late. Right? He's never wondering where his keys are. Amen. Amen. That's not really the type of order we're really talking about. But we're really talking about is a spiritual order and a family order that is established in the home. That, that there is a love of God that is found in the occupants there. If you put a bunch of people who are sold out in love with Jesus under the same roof, you're going to have a home that is in love with Jesus. Amen. Amen, that's just a natural process of it. And I would say there is the value of contentment. Everyone say contentment. 
I know I've hit this a few times recently. I find it a little odd. It's not really something I say a lot about, but it seems like this is at least the third time I've mentioned it in recent months. And uh, 1 Timothy 6, 7 through 10, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith. There's, there's your worst part there. Amen. While they coveted after it, they erred from the faith. While they were trying to get it. Amen. While they were trying to just get one more job. They were just trying to get one more paycheck. They were just trying to make one more dollar. They erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many, somebody say many, with many sorrows. It's not just one sorrow. It's not just, well, I, I didn't make the money. It's a lot of sorrows that can come into our lives. The Bible also says it perhaps a little simpler like this in Proverbs 15 and 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Amen. The wise man also says in Proverbs 16 and 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. Without righteousness. And the psalmist says in 37, 16, a little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. Amen. So as much as I am all for that God, I don't believe that God has any problem with people having money. I don't believe that God-centered, God-anointed, and God-submitted wealth is a bad thing at all if, it's all, if it fits all those categories. But the Bible does drive home the point that there, it is better to have a little and be right with God. It's better to, and, than have a little and understand your place with God and be blessed of God. He uses the word, the fear of the Lord, little with the fear of the Lord. That, that phrase, fear of the Lord, means moral reverence. It means living to please and honor the Lord. He says it's better to have a little and live your life to please and honor God than it is to have great treasure, but your life is full of trouble. Amen. Amen. It's always going to work out better for those who seek God first. Amen. Amen. So often we talk about seeking God first in the church house, but we also must seek God first in our house. Wanting to live in a nice home is not inherently wrong. I want to live in a nice home. I love our home. I thank God for the miracle of our home. But the monetary value of a house is of little importance to the structure of a good home. People push themselves to the limit to give their spouse or give themselves or to give their children all of the nicest things that they can possibly do. Often, I'll add, overcompensating for a real or perceived lack in their own childhood is one of the main motivators why people do that. Only to miss out on having real relationships with their wife or their husband or their children. And having little 
of real value to show for their tireless efforts to accumulate the best of all the stuff, but they don't have the things that matter the most. In many cases, it's just a, a portion of the time spent on acquiring for stuff for the home. If just a portion of that, 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 that trying to get more of this and more of that and more of the other was instead put into the people and the relationships that existed inside the home, like a genuine interest in their, their moral welfare, that they were raised with morality, that they were raised with an understanding of what morality even is, uh, things like guidance in their spiritual growth, things like guidance in their spiritual well-being, giving them the building blocks to a relationship with God. Amen. We understand that these things are, it's not just the easiest thing in the world to do. It's not easy in our, our house either. <laughs> Amen. But you, you got to give your children at least the building blocks, at least the understanding of this is what a relationship with God looks like. This is what you're going to need if you're going to make it in this world. These are the things that matter. This is morally right and righteous. This is sinful and wrong. They need somebody to tell them because the world's going to tell them and the world's not going to take the Bible into consideration when it tells them. Amen. And so we, we, we need, if, if some, a lot of times, if just a portion of the time that is spent trying to accumulate stuff and trying to do things so that our kids or our spouse or whoever might be temporarily happy, instead, if it was put into these things, the whole of the family unit would be much healthier. The marriage would be much healthier. The children the reality of it is in our world today, in America society today, materialism is killing what should be Christ-centered homes. Amen. And Jesus doesn't really give us any illustration that it's all about more money. In fact, you, you can't even really get an illustration of what Jesus' house looked like. Because you have a scripture where they asked him where he lived, and he said, come and see. And then it, it must not have been much. <laughs> he talks about one point about not having a place to lay his head. So he, it, he, he's not, if you're looking for an illustration from Jesus on that we need to have these just grandeur homes, you're not going to find it. Once again, I'm not saying that Jesus says we shouldn't because he says that there's all these, he will bless us in all these areas. But the, the, the position of our focus has got to be on Christ. Amen. The one person said it this way. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is our home a show place or a grow place? Amen. Is it a show place or a grow place? Place. I remember when I was a kid, we had some friends of ours and uh, friends of our family, and I, I, I really liked uh, their son was one of their kids. Sons was about my age, and we were really good friends. But I never liked going to their house because their house was like a museum. It was like an art. As soon as you walked in, it you were just like, I'm just going to stand right in the center of the room and try not to breathe hard or else I'm gonna break something. 
It was so, everything was always so, you know, perfect. And it, it always felt like, I always wondered, how do they live here? How do you live in that environment? Amen. And I'm not disparaging them. They figured they did what they, you know, they did what they did. But the truth of the matter is, it's, is, is my home a show place or a grow place? I want it to be a place where growth happens. And where growth happens, there's life. And where life happens, it's not always pretty. Right? Consider the atmosphere of the home. Isaiah, the 32nd chapter. And the work of the righteous shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. I like that. I like that. So once again, he says, and the work of righteousness shall be peace. Righteousness means morally right. So it's not just I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right. It's being morally right. And God gets to, God decides what that is, right? The Bible decides what morally right is. But if there's morally, if we are morally right, there's peace that's connected to that. The work of righteousness brings peace. The work of righteousness brings quietness and assurance, confidence. He's saying, my, my people can live in this way. He declares that those who would be his people by faith and by belief, those that would be his people, that they would follow him and he would be their God and they shall dwell in peaceable habitations and ensure dwellings. They will live in quiet, resting places. And now, if that doesn't sound like our homes, then we need to evaluate to what degree God is the Lord of our homes. Amen. Amen. Now, I personally believe that if you live in a home where not everybody is on the same page, so to speak, about this living for God thing, that you just need to do your very best to the best of influence and effectiveness that you have, you need to take some, some, some authority in your home. And if you think, well, I have no authority in my home, well, then whoever seems to have the authority, when they're gone, you need to walk around that house and take spiritual authority in the home. Amen. And anoint everything and pray over everything and do whatever you got to do. But you're looking to have a peaceable, amen, and a restful and a righteous home. Jesus gives us a wonderfully understood illustration in the Sermon on the Mount. This is his closing illustration of this lengthy sermon. In Matthew 7, you probably know it well. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. So he's just, he's just preached this whole message. And he's closing it up now. And whoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these things of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand." And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So Jesus preaches this whole message to them, 
And at the close of it, he says, if you hear the words and you do them, you're wise. And you're like you built a house on a rock. And it doesn't matter what comes against it. The rains can fall down from above. The winds can blow from east to west. Or the floodwaters can rise up from the bottom. And it doesn't make any difference. It's not going to fall down. Because why? Because it was built upon a rock. He says, whoever hears these words and doesn't, doesn't follow my words is foolish. And they, they're trying to build something of lasting value on a foundation of sand. You can't do it. Amen. If you, ever, if you ever get a chance in my office, I have a picture on my wall that uh, I took uh, when we were doing some fishing in Florida of a man, I, I don't remember his name now, an extremely wealthy man who many years ago owned uh, property right on the ocean, and he decided to build this very eccentric, very crazy-looking house with all these little hut things, and he built it really close to the ocean, and he thought it was great. And today, you can fish around it because it's a couple hundred yards out in the ocean. Amen. Now it's a fishing destination. If you try to build your house and build something of lasting value on a foundation of sand, Jesus says that's a foolish thing to do because the rain, the flood, the wind is going to come because the rain, the flood, and the wind always comes. Apostolics, do we understand this? The rain, the flood, and the wind comes. That's, about, that's called being human. That's called life. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Bad things happen to everybody. Life happens to apostolics just like it happens to non-apostolics. And so he says the rain, the wind, the flood's going to come, but it's going to fall, and great was the fall of it. The reason the fall is great, perhaps, is because a finished house is no longer an empty house. So my point is, is that the house is finished, it's built upon the house, the sand and finished, and now our families have moved in. And now all of our personal belongings are in there. And now everything of value is inside the house. So when it falls, it's more than just the physical structure that is destroyed. So great is the fall of it. Because there's a whole lot more that's going to be wiped out if our homes fall spiritually because we don't follow the words of Christ and we build our homes on a foundation that cannot last when it falls. It's not just going to hurt us. It's not just going to hurt our spouse. It's not just going to hurt our children. It's going to take all of us and everything of value that we have is all going to fall. Great is the fall of it. Amen. So we don't build our homes on the ideology of peace and quiet and assurance and love and contentment. There's a lot of people trying to do that. They're trying to build their lives, build their homes, and say, I want to build a house that's full of love, and I want to build a house that's full of peace, and I want to build a house that's full of contentment, and I want to build a house that's full of quietness and confidence and assurance, but you don't do that. You build your home on the rock that is Christ Jesus, and all of those other things become a part of it. Amen. Amen. The foundation must be right. Somebody said the foundation, the foundation must be right. Here are a few things that are signs of a bad foundation in a physical home. 
This is just your actual physical home. I hope you don't have any of these. Cracks begin to show on the inside. Drywall starts cracking. Gaps between the windows and the walls start to show up. You notice a sinking feeling. Nails begin to pop out on the walls. The floors or the ceilings begin to be warped. These are a few things that are a sign that you've got a bad foundation, that there's something wrong with your physical home's foundation. But I want us to consider for a second, related to the atmosphere of our home and the spiritual atmosphere of our home, these same things. The family unit starts out great. Things are all together. Everything's looking pretty good. The fresh coat of paint looks pretty. The decorations on the wall look good. And then one day there's a crack. Right? The relationship looks good. Everybody seems to be getting along. Seems to be being kind to one another. Treating each other peaceably. But then one day there's a crack that shows up. The relationships start to get more difficult. Conflict begins to be more noticeable. Obedience is questioned. Love starts to lack. The cracks are now starting to show, right? Then one day we see that there are hidden issues affecting us that begin to come to light. Mold, if you study mold, it's oftentimes called the silent killer, right? It's a silent killer because it makes people sick and they don't know why they're sick. They don't figure it out for a long time that there's mold hiding because in the house, the gaps between the windows and the walls, the bugs are getting in, the moisture's getting in, and the mold is starting to form. The silent killers of relationships, there are issues that, that start to happen, and you're wondering, why is it this way? Why does it feel that way? Why, can't, why aren't people getting along? Why is the marriage not working? How come we're not communicating? What happened to the good days? What happened to the good times? Sinful issues that are hidden start to make themselves known. Oh, the wedding is always good. It's such a very small percentage where the wedding itself is bad. But there are times when it doesn't take very long before something's not quite right. You start to notice that sinking feeling. Things are going in the wrong direction. We're supposed to be building up a good life. It seems like we're going in the opposite direction. You all of a sudden start to have this dread for the future that kind of sits in the pit of your stomach. Things in your mind nagging at you like something bad is on the way. Like you're going to discover something wrong. This is what a home should never feel like. Nails start popping out. That which was supposed to hold everything together is no longer working. 
that which you thought was going to be the, 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 the ties that bind, that, the things that you had in common, the, the, the common interests, the, the common goals, the, 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 even the kids perhaps that was supposed to hold this whole thing together are no longer working. And then the, the, the love is no longer there and joy is no longer there and peace is pulling away and things are starting now to fall apart. And you have the, the warped floors, the unsteadiness begins to replace what once seemed balanced, what you once felt comfortable and you once felt secure, but now it feels out of balance. And you once relied on some things that now feel unsure and, and unbalanced homes are just one step away from a fall. And great was the fall of it. All the inhabitants are negatively affected by this type of foundation. Now the good news is this. The good news is that an old foundation can be replaced. The good news is, is that an old foundation, something that was not built right the first time or is falling apart, can be replaced. It requires that the whole house, though, has to be lifted up. Right? Amen. I'm just gonna say, I'll just say it this way by faith, that once we decide to redo our foundation and put Christ in his rightful place, uh, I believe he will lift us up uh, so that that foundation has the ability to be made new. I like Psalm 40 with that one and three. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. We have a God who specializes in pulling people up out of the muck and out of the mire. He knows how to lift us up. He knows how to put us on a rock, give us a new foundation and a new song in our heart. Oh, hallelujah. So even if the foundation was wrong from the beginning, even if you don't even know you were raised in such an environment as a kid that you never even knew what kind of foundation you needed to have, and so you just went off into life and just did what you did, and now you're looking back at some things and saying, man, if we would have done it a little bit differently, if we would have done that a little bit differently, if we would have just handled this a little bit differently, I believe in a God who is able to lift our lives up and give us a a new foundation that is a rock and all you got to do to get it is to just determine once and for all this is going to be a house dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ and everything that happens in this house is going to bring glory to God and everything that happens in my heart in this house is going to bring glory to God. Oh hallelujah. The foundation being Christ centered creates a spiritual atmosphere in the home. It's like spiritual oxygen that just breathes into life, amen, and it brings life into our whole self and our whole family and everybody that's a part of it. If we want our homes to be refreshing and wholesome places, then we have some work to do. There are some things we have to do, and there are some things we got to quit doing. There are some things we have to pull close and some things that we have to lay aside. Look at Ephesians 4, 22 through 31. That you put off 
concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Put that stuff off, the old conversation, the old way of thinking, your whole, the old fleshly lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Amen. Righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one another. Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Amen. So how I act in the home, how I speak, how I behave, literally how I think in my home has got to be made new. It's got to be consecrated unto the Lord. It's got to be dedicated unto God. Old behaviors that were not righteous must be put away and replaced with, with new, new man behaviors. The most general guideline we must follow is summed up, I believe, when he says, neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. The devil cannot have a room in your home and everything still be fine. The devil cannot control the TV remote or the video programming and everything's just gonna be fine. The devil cannot run the music playlist or the gaming console and everything's just gonna be fine. Doesn't work that way. So whether he has his own room or he's crashing on your couch, you need to kick him out. Amen. You need to kick out anything that doesn't bring glory to God. Amen. Anything that doesn't bring glory to God, put it away. What's not allowed in a godly home that's built upon the rock Christ Jesus? Lying, sinful anger, stealing, you say, what am, I, what am I stealing from myself? There's a lot of ways to steal. You can steal other people's joy. You can steal other people's self-esteem. You can steal other people's patience. Stealing, laziness, corrupt communication, bitterness, wrath, clamor, he says, evil speaking, just to get started. There's a few things just to get us started that cannot be in our home if we want it to have a foundation that is going to stand when the wind blows and the rain falls and the floodwaters rise and we want it to stand the test of time. We cannot have these things in our home. What should we have? Well, he tells us. 
He gives us another partial list in verses four, uh, chapter 432. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. The consideration here is that no home is ever perfect. Somebody say, thank God for that. There is no such thing as a perfect home. So we can all just breathe a little bit, relax a little bit. <laughs> Amen. There are imperfections. And because there is no home is ever perfect, forgiveness is vital. Everybody say forgiveness, forgiveness. is vital. vital. Amen. And, I'll, and forgiveness is much more palatable if kindness and tender-hearted people are there. Oh, yeah. Amen. It's a whole lot easier to live in a home where we recognize we're going to need forgiveness from time to time. That's a whole lot easier if there's a tender heart. Amen. A tender heart. If there's real if there's a, if a genuine, caring love, if there is a kindness that exists in our home, there ought to be a kindness. That seems so elementary, but the Bible actually speaks multiple times about this idea of just being kind. Just being kind. And our homes should be a place of kindness. And our homes should be a place where there are tender hearts so that our homes can be a place where there is forgiveness because none of us are going to be perfect. Amen? And the moment that forgiveness is not available in the home, the progression towards what God wants us to become is halted. It's halted. It stops right there the moment that forgiveness is no longer available in our home. Amen. Communication. Everybody say communication. Communication is demanded for these types of things like forgiveness and kindness and a tender heart. For those things to be present in a home, it means you're going to have to talk to each other. Amen. Amen. I believe personally that that is the reason why communication has been so attacked by the devil in our world today. And what I mean by communication is real, human to human, in the same place, looking each other in the eyes, using your words, communication has been utterly attacked, but by the wiles of the devil. He hasn't just, you know, it's not a full frontal attack. He's just given us so many other ways. We celebrate, it blows my mind today, we celebrate today about how, oh man, we can, our, our world today can communicate greater than we've ever communicated before. Yeah, I can talk to someone in Asia. I can talk to someone in, in, in Africa. I can talk to someone in Europe. Yeah, that's true. But can I talk to the person that lives in my house? This is the problem. This is the problem. Can I talk to the person who lives with me? I saw, I saw one survey 
it said over a third of married couples spend less than half an hour a day talking to one another. When asked what factors that hinder their conversation, 34.4% said getting home late and working on weekends. I get that. But 29.9%, almost 30%, cited watching TV or playing on their smartphones. So we can whine all day about the, you know, 34% that, well, you know, I work late, I, I had to work on the weekend, I had to do all that. We can whine about that all we want. But the other factor is, the other 30, there's another 30% of people that said, well, it's because we're watching TV, we're scrolling on our smartphones, we're doing all this other stuff. Some 19.2% said they rarely find time to talk to each other because they're busy taking of their children or their household chores, while 10.3% blamed poor communication skills. They don't talk to each other because they don't know how to talk to each other. Amen. If you suffer with poor communication skills, just invite me over for dinner, and we'll work on it. <laughs> I promise you, you know how to do it. What happens in relationships sometimes is these things get away from us. They just kind of get away from us a little bit. It wasn't that way, and then it got a little worse, and the next thing we know, it's like we're not even, and now we're scared because now it seems like everything, every time we try to talk, it feels awkward and weird. Now every time we try to bring up a subject, it feels forced. And we start to say, well, it didn't used to be that way. And so something probably, that must mean that he doesn't love me, she doesn't love me, they don't, whatever. It must mean that. No, it just means you got out of the habit of communicating. It's hard because you quit doing it. Quit doing it, something else. After a while, it'll be hard to do that too. Amen. They say you never forget how to ride a bike. Have you tried to ride a bike? <laughs> I jumped on a bike last summer. I could still do it, but it wasn't pretty. And it was painful. I don't remember it being so painful. I won't say where it hurt, but it hurt. When I was a kid, I could ride a bike all day long. But I haven't done it in a while. Now, I have friends who that's their form of exercise. They ride bikes. They're into it, man. They do it for miles and miles and miles and miles. And I, I get on one for 10 minutes, and I get off, and I'm like, oh. And I'm like, the only reason why they can do it and I can is because they kept doing it. Right? They kept doing it. Communication Lack of communication or struggling to communicate does not mean you don't love them or they don't love you. It just means that you've allowed your communication to fade and you're going to have to do something to get it back. You're going to have to do something to get it back. Amen. So I don't know. The accuracy of that survey to me matters far less than the reality of it in our own lives. Are we communicating in our homes? Are we communicating with our spouses? Are we communicating with our children? Are there conversations happening? Is there love being expressed? Is there affection being expressed? Are people allowed to share? Uh, one article gave several signs that our home relationships are struggling. Uh, just a few of them were. Number one, we're not communicating our feelings. 
We're not actually, we're, we're holding back things and we're internalizing things and we're not speaking about them. That's not a good sign. That's not healthy. You say, well, if I do communicate, it's going to get loud. Every once in a while, it's got to get loud. Just don't throw stuff. Don't physically hit or kick or spit. <laughs> Every once in a while, I mean, you know, you got to make your feelings known. You know why? You know when it does, you, you won't get loud like that anymore? When you quit bottling it up until it just explodes out. If you'll just more routinely communicate your feelings, and that this is where our children have to be able to communicate their feelings to us. That has to be an open thing. And it's easy. It's very easy at parent, as parents because they start to talk and you know what they're going to say, where they're going to go, and how they're going to finish and what they're thinking, and it's all dumb. And you just don't want to, you just try to you cut them off, right? I know where you're going. I know what you're about to say. Blah, blah, blah. But that's not a healthy thing to do. They need to say some of those things. They need to get it out there. They need, to, they need to hear somebody to hear it. And I don't know if it reciprocates, but maybe if we hear them, they'll hear us. I don't know if that's how that works or not. But it, it's, a, it's a powerful tool, right? Communicating is necessary. It says not communicating your feelings is a sign that relationship is struggling. Most of your together time is sitting on the couch watching TV or phone scrolling is a sign that your, your relationship is struggling. Distractions keep you from any real connection. Any real connection, there's always some distraction. The other one is you're not talking about the big stuff. That was the way they worded it. You're not talking about the big stuff. So you may be having conversations, but they're not about things of significance. You're not discussing the big things in life. Serious conversations. And I'm just going to say, if, if your response to, you know, when some, one of the spouses, one spouse says we need to talk, if your response is to roll your eyes and throw your hands in the air and sigh real deeply, you just need to grow up a little bit. Oh, I'm really pastoring now. This feels good. I, I'm going to stay in that vein for a little bit. We committed ourselves to someone until death does us part. We did it in the eyes of God. And he's still watching. He didn't quit watching when the wedding was over. He's still watching us. And there are discussions and conversations that are necessity to have just to live life. And there are conversations that we need to have so that our relationship can stay and grow and be fresh. Jesus gave us the difference between the wise and the foolish and their foundations. Paul gives us Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. That word redeeming there in that context means you buy it back so that you can set it free. It means that that time that time has already been stolen by something. It's already been commandeered, taken over by something else, but you decide, I'm taking that time back, and I'm gonna use it for something positive and good. I'm taking back my time. 
Amen? I'm taking back my time. I would normally give my time to that. I would normally give my time to this. I would normally give my time out in the garage, or I'd normally give my time out in the, the, the whatever, someplace else. But I'm taking back that time, and I'm going to put it towards something that helps my home, my relationships in, in the home. So our time has been completely corrupted, and we need to take back control over our time. I know I mentioned this recently, but I'm going to say it again. The idea of properly budgeting our time. What if we handled our time like we're supposed to handle our money? What if we gave God the first fruits? What if we prioritized the things of God and the things that God created? So what if we prioritized our prayer and our Bible and our worship and our praise, but also the things that God created, like our marriage and our family and our home? What if we prioritized those things and we put them higher on the list when it comes to budgeting our time? We all have the same amount of time. In Matthew 6, you know it well, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. How do we have the kingdom of God in our home? How do we have that? How do I get the kingdom of God in my home? Well, first of all, are we praying after the direction of scripture that Jesus said, when ye pray, he said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. If you're praying, thy kingdom come, and you're praying that in your home, you are not just praying that his kingdom ultimately comes and establishes his throne in Israel and all the millennial. No, you're praying also that his kingdom would be established in your home. Amen. Thy kingdom come. In my home, thy kingdom come. Come. So are we doing that? Because if we're not doing that, we, should, we need to start doing that. Because he said, seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all the other things will be added. The reality of it is the devil is lying, and our world has created a culture of lies that if I put all the time and effort and energy it's going to take to have a happy marriage and to have a happy family and to do it right, that that means I'm going to have to sacrifice all all these other wonderfully valuable things that I want in my life. And so people are choosing things that are not their marriage, their family, their children, their home. They're choosing other things. I don't believe that that's the reality. I believe the reality is, is that if I say thy kingdom come in my home and I put God first, uh, that all these other things that have any real value to them will still be a part of my life. Amen. That's number one. Number two, are we emphasizing the new birth to our children like Jesus described to Nicodemus? Is the new birth, is the gospel a very important thing? Because he said without it, You cannot see the kingdom. Amen. Amen. That's a very, very important thing. And it's not just the gospel, but it's what the gospel starts in a life. It's valuable that our kids, when they are young, understand the gospel. And when they're they're old enough to understand repentance and we're teaching them about repentance, that they would repent. And when they're old enough and they get baptism, that we get them baptized, that they might receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's all very valuable stuff. 
not just because it's the gospel, but because that, those are foundational blocks to a healthy life. Amen. It's, a, it's literally a, a proven thing that Christianity on its own can lift people out of poverty. There are studies that have been done that simply people just becoming true Christians and starting to live their lives based upon just the most simplest form of Christianity, their lives get lifted up. Their work ethic increases, their attitudes get better, their outlook on life gets, their, their, their self-worth goes up. All of that stuff increases simply by just following the very basic things of, the, of a Christian life. So what will it do for our children and our young children and our teenagers, if they haven't had it yet, to get the gospel alive in their life and get that foundational structure alive so that we can then begin to lead them into the other things that can come about the, the study of the word of God and about prayer and the conversations that can be real conversations about God. Amen. If you're not having conversations with your kids uh, at, 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 on a regular basis, on a daily basis, reinstitute dinner time. Amen. You know who created the TV tray? Satan did. Now, I don't know who really did it, but they were influenced. <laughs> Amen. It's a nonsensical thing. We are living in a world and a culture today where we are believing the lie that we are having together time with our kids when everybody's just sitting there staring at a screen. That's not together time. You're in proximity, but you're not together. You want to have conversations with your spouse and you want to have conversations with your kids? You want to have meaningful conversations? Force yourself to sit around a table. Put some food out there. If you don't cook, put some little Caesars out there. <laughs> Just make them come to the table and sit down to eat it with no phones and no devices and no stuff. Amen. Amen. Number three, God's kingdom is not of this world. It's not of this world entirely. He's, when he speaks of his kingdom, it's a connection between what he can do on this world and what already exists in heaven. And so in our homes, are we living for heaven in our homes? Amen. Are we living for heaven in our homes? I was talking with my oldest brother today on the phone, and we were talking about how uh, there were different things. He's six years older than me, and he was firstborn, and sometimes I feel sorry for him for that. Because you know that first kid, you know, you just, you, you just, you think you got it all figured out, and you do almost all of it wrong. But he was telling me about how there are certain things, he'll never watch this. Brother, if you're watching this, I apologize. He'll never watch it. He was telling me about how there are certain things in his life as an adult that he really does not like to do. One of them is clean the garage. He doesn't like to clean the garage. Just detests cleaning the garage. He's not a garage guy. But he, but, but he was talking about that, and he says that he, in his, he remembers cleaning the garage as a punishment as a kid. 
when he would get in trouble, all right, you're cleaning the garage, which also just meant my dad didn't like to clean the garage, but that's another thing. That's, that's a whole nother deal. But, but so it's a generational thing, I'm telling you. But so even as an adult, you know, and it was funny because he brought that up, and I just cleaned my garage yesterday. But I like, I ha- I like order. Order makes my mind go at ease. If there's a lot of chaos, I'm stressed out. So it doesn't make me better than him. It just means that I don't have a strong mental composition as he does. <laughs> and, and, and so we understand these things, that these things are, are important. And what happens in our, in our lives as children is very, very meaningful. And you guys know around here how much I love, if I can preach about heaven or teach about heaven or talk about heaven, I love that. But that wasn't something that I came up with. That was because when I was a kid, we would talk about driving down the road what we thought heaven was going to be like. And dad, even though he knew a lot about heaven, when we would say things that didn't make any sense, never told us they didn't make any sense. He never said, oh, no, you got that all wrong. See, the scripture says... You know, if we said there's going to be Snickers bars in heaven, whenever we snapped our fingers, my mom would say, well, that sounds good. I bet there will be Snickers bars in heaven. So I really want to go to heaven. How about you? Anybody really want to go to heaven? Amen. Amen. These things make a difference. What, what we, uh, we are not living for this world. And if we're living for heaven, shouldn't there be a little bit of heaven in our home? Shouldn't there be some heaven in our home? Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's not just about meeting the base needs of our flesh, but it's about righteousness, right living. It's about peace. That's what he wants. It's about joy. It's about these things in the Holy Ghost. It's in relationship to God, I have righteousness. In relationship to others, I have peace. And in relation of my own heart, I have joy. That's what the kingdom of God is. Righteousness with him, peace with one another, and joy in my own heart. And God wants his kingdom alive in my home. Amen. He wants his kingdom alive in my home. Let's stand together. So God definitely has a design and an intent for our home. And it starts at the foundation. And if your foundation was all messed up, take heart. Put Christ at the center, and he lifts us up out of the miry clay. Gives us a new foundation, a rock that we can count on. Amen. And if some of these things I've talked about tonight... Some of these areas of relationships and communication and atmosphere and all this stuff that's happening in our home environment, in our time, if any of that is challenging to us, well, good. It was challenging to me when I was putting it down there. We need to be challenged, right? I need to be. I want to be challenged. I don't want to get in some sort of rut. I don't want to wake up someday and find my relationship has died. I don't want to try to figure out how I'm supposed to live my life. When my, I don't want to go through any struggles that God doesn't want me to go through. 
If I have to go through it because he wants me to go through it, his will, fine, thy will be done. But I don't want to create it for myself. And so that's going to take work on this side. But I would much rather do the work in advance than have to do the work to try to fix it later. But it's all fixable. Somebody say it's all fixable. Because we got a God that loves us very much. Aren't you thankful for a God that cares about our homes? Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week. Thank you.